Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, we're talking top fuel and pro stock, joined by Justin Ashley and Bo Butner, a winner and a strong comeback. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. Plus, we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about just how awesome the NHRA Winter Nationals in Pomona were. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. It marks a victory of 26 ten-thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans back here. The NHRA Insider officially kicked off the 2022 season last weekend in Pomona, California, and my goodness, was it incredible. Uh, if you watch the coverage either on NHRA.tv or you watch the coverage on our, our FS1 shows that ran all weekend long showing qualifying and eliminations, um, this really was a race for the ages. I mean, it was the type of event that set the tone for an entire year, the type of event that affirmed much of what we thought was going to be the case in classes like Pro Stock and classes like Top Fuel. It certainly showed us the uh, thrills and chills, if you will, of the beginning of a season. It had some breathtaking moments. It had some moments that just made you slack-jawed with how good the racing was, some other moments that had you almost covering your eyes because you weren't sure what was going to happen next. Um, in short, it had every element that a great race has. It has things that shock you, things that surprise you, things that entertain you, and ultimately it leaves you um, really begging to have the next event as quickly as possible. And thankfully for us, that means this weekend in Arizona. So uh, not only w- was testing great in Arizona, the fact that the majority of these teams have a very good handle on the racetrack itself at that facility is going to make the the competition maybe even doubly as tough if that's even possible. So um, I don't know any other way to, to kick things off than just to, to kind of talk about what we saw in Pomona, to talk about what we experienced out there, whether you were watching in the stands or watching from home or really following along uh, on the social media side via NHRA or the teams. I got to say that uh, there is another kind of layer of all this excitement that we have in this 2022 season, and that is the fact that our teams uh, have made, in some cases, a quantum leap ahead in what they're doing with social media, how they're presenting themselves, what kind of access we're being given in terms of social content, how they're creating it, the frequency it's being created at. Um, There's a lot of things happening on the social media front in those pits and and really on the racetrack that are improvements over the way that they have been for years. Obviously, there are teams that are going to drive this forward. Tony Stewart Racing stuff is impeccable. Antron Brown stuff is impeccable. There are leaders in this category that are going to help really kind of drive everybody's performance uh, on that social front as part of that social game that is so important in racing today. Um, it's, It's great for all of us. You know, uh, taking this right back to the beginning of the week, I was out in Pomona early on Wednesday to go to Media Day, got to see a bunch of drivers and chat there, kind of follow-up conversations from testing, and uh, it was great to have Media Day again. That's something we have not had uh, in a couple of seasons, and so to be able to get out there and and certainly get people uh, photographed and get some fun social content created and get Lauren Adams out there with a camera to to build some neat packages for our, our bumps in and out of break for our show it's just great. It does really kind of give everybody that baseline of we're back. Um, it feels good. It feels whole again and that kind of thing. 
And then qualifying started. I mean, sportsman racing on Thursday was uh, was intense. We had a very serious crash, a uh, top sportsman car on Thursday. Thankfully, that driver is, is going to be okay, but he uh, got banged up pretty bad, kind of a, a stuck throttle situation in the top end. Friday qualifying kicked off very well. Pro stock qualifying was very, very tight. And, you know, we were beginning to believe, at least I was, that we were going to see the quickest EFI pro stock field of all time. And I got a hold of Bob Fry on, on Friday afternoon and asked, uh, you know, what is that quickest EFI bump of all time? And it's uh, 6.597 seconds, which was the Winter Nationals in 2018. And we got to 659.9. So we missed it by two thou. If the 16 qualifier had just been able to step on it a little bit harder, we would have had the quickest uh, EFI pro stock field of all time. But, you know, that really kind of set the tone. We look at what uh, top fuel qualifying looked like and, and how tight and how just just wild it was the reaction times and qualifying which again uh you know some people say well it's meaningless why even bother paying attention to that of course i pay attention to it because that to me sets the attitude of the driver for the rest of the weekend if somebody is pulling to the starting line in qualifying when the object of the game is to stage the car as shallow as possible giving you the most rollout giving you the most run uh, at the finish line and you are still cutting lights in the 30s and 40s, you are someone I need to be paying very close attention to on elimination day. And Justin Justin Ashley, Austin Prock, and a handful of others were those people, and it did translate to Sunday. Um, what top fuel competition will look like this year is going to be as cutthroat as anything we've ever seen. Just in one race, you can look at it and see. We look at the race Brittany drove. Brittany drove one of the best statistical races of her last several seasons. And, uh, you know, she's stepping up to the plate, had a 52 light, you know, was very competitive uh, in the race car, which is great to see. And certainly um, an indication of her knowing and understanding what the level of the competition is. The the days of even being a, a solid qualifier, even being, let's say, a two, three, four car and coming up to the starting line and being OK with being like 90 on the tree to start with are pretty much over because it, we've seen so many drivers in this one race cutting lights in the 40s and 50s. If you're going to be 90, you're spotting anybody you're racing four hundredths of a second, anybody you're racing four hundredths of a second. So that means any sort of mistake or imperfection in your run, you're going to be in big trouble. And I don't care who you're lined up against, number one or number 16. You cannot be that number on the starting line anymore. It just it seems like the new bar is going to be 55 or better. And the number of drivers we're going to have over the course of a season that say 55, 57 and under on an average of a year is going to is going to indicate that it's going to show us exactly how hard it is. That and the ability to basically run 360s at will seem to be the two things you got to have uh, the the capability of doing. And that was Austin Prock and and our first guest who will be on the show in a little while, Justin Ashley. Uh, those are two guys that, that really kind of showed us that that was the way. And it was a punishing way. It was a crushing way. It was a great way. It was a kind of the, what you want to see out of top fuel drag racing in my mind. I want to see top fuel cars going out there with drivers that are crushing the tree and that are running ETs a couple of tenths quicker than the funny cars because they should. That's where they should be. The physics say that. We see the math. And so when we know that the teams are able to give it all that effort, able to throw the hammers at it, able to really run the numbers that um, that are so entertaining to see, it makes it uh, that much more fun to watch. Um, 
you know, I think in Top Fuel, the, the debut of Leah Pruitt as part of Tony Stewart Racing uh, was was okay. I mean, the car qualified well. It ran good. The first round did not go her way. She was uh, she was second off the starting line and ultimately second to the finish line. Did not lose on a whole shot, but um, definitely a situation that I think for Leah, you got to put that one behind you. You come into Phoenix. Thankfully, you got to crack at it just the, the next following week. So uh, if she can't erase the bad memories of first round in that, that car is going to be okay. It certainly looked good to us. Uh, it was not eating up parts. It wasn't doing anything uh, untoward. It was running fast and true. Um, we'll talk a whole lot more about Top Fuel when we have Justin Ashley on the show. And Nitro Funny Car, look, it was uh, it was a classic. I mean, Nitro Funny Car final round was not just a classic, an all-timer. Um, Robert Heights crew guy Trevor lowering the body accidentally get just a little bit of the the throttle arm and it blipped the car ahead and he got he got hit in the face with a with a Chevrolet funny car and he's able to jump over the wall. His uh, fellow crew guys collected his personal belongings and chucked him over the wall after him. And then uh, Robert goes down and wins the race. I mean, he left second, but he still had a great light in the seventies. Caps had a light in the fifties, but it was ultimately height that had more race car under him. And in that season of frustration, that was twenty twenty one, seems to have almost just like been an anomaly because. If they can run this car, and everybody has their ups and downs, but if they can run the car for the rest of the year like they ran it at Pomona, everybody else is in some trouble. Because when those guys have it, it is very difficult to beat them. Why? Well, because when Jimmy has it right on his end of things, he tends to be one of the more aggressive, certainly one of the more kind of just throw it down tuners. And when Robert has it right on his end in the seat, he is a lock solid, take it to the bank, guy in that high 60 low 70 range who can dial up a light if he needs it and that means that it makes it almost airtight that means to beat them you have to a be more aggressive than jimmy proc and b be more aggressive or more consistent than robert height on the starting line and that's where the difficulty factor starts to ramp up when you start to think about the things you need to do to beat a car like that one that auto club chevrolet when it is running correctly uh, the list gets very long and it gets scary because the longer the list gets, the the more finite, the more thin, the more minuscule your ability to be anything but superhuman becomes. And the benefit of all this, of course, is is us, the fans and, and the announcers and, and the staff that puts on the events because it it makes for a show that um, makes for a show that is just so entertaining to watch. And a Nitro Funny Car, the Toyota Bodies came out. They ran pretty well. Uh, Alex Milodinovich had an unfortunate crash. It was really, really tough to see him pile that thing up. Um, a lot of work to be done there, and they're going to do their best to get to Vegas, but uh, it may be a, it may be an impossible – I'm going to say impossible. It may be more than they can handle in this short amount of time, but uh, we hope to see Alex Milodinovich back as quickly as possible. Everybody loves the dude. The heart, the soul, the spirit, the attitude – all of it exemplifies everything great about drag racing. And, you know, I think furthermore, in, in the Nitro Funny Car class, it, it became a 380s fest, obviously. Uh, the final round was an 88 and 86 side-by-side, kind of like Top Fuel in the high 60s. Nitro Funny Car was definitely that mid- to high 80s zone that was uh, that was where the cool kids were at, and that was ultimately what it was going to take to win the race. John Force had a horrendous weekend. I described it as an on to shambles because uh, nothing went right. I mean, running over the blocks, Q1, car not going down the track, Q2 and 3, having to face caps in the first round, and then the car, you know, basically by 300 feet was already um, eliminated, for, for lack of a better term. It just didn't have what it needed to be competitive in that first round. Obviously, they'll try to rebound in Arizona. 
more than likely they will. They have uh, incredible brain trust there with Tim Fabrizi and, and Danny Hood tuning the hot rods. So it's not like they're lost in the woods, so to speak. They just had a bad weekend and it happened to be just the first weekend of the year. So for John Forrest, if there's anything that he can lean on, it is that resilience, that mental toughness that he has developed over a funny car career that is rapidly approaching 50 years in the sport. So he has quite literally seen and done it all. Last class I want to talk about before we get to our first guest, of course, is Pro Stock. Uh, Eric Anders, uh, what do we say? They went and tested Elite Motorsports, tested their entire fleet up at up at uh, Bakersfield, California, at Famoso Raceway, the historic drag strip up there. They were by themselves. They were not down in Phoenix with the rest of the teams. Uh, obviously, it went well because we look at how those cars ran, particularly Erica's, and we can tell that that test session definitely paid some dividends, and it was consistent from place to place. You know, Erica's reaction time, she's down in the teens and in the 20s and just standing on the gas exactly when she needs to. Uh, We talk about that final round against Aaron Stanfield. They had killed an engine in the semifinals, so they had a thrash to get one in. His car came off the starting line and then effectively kind of shut off, it seemed, by about 330 feet, allowing her to cruise for the victory. And this was a significant one for Erica because... Uh, all racers like to have these kind of legacy events in their in their pocket. They like to have the ability to say, I won X race or Y race. And Pomona was the 900th uh, Pro Stock National event ever contested. So it will be forever in the history books that Erica Enders is the winner of the 900th Pro Stock event in NHRA history. With her Wally, she got a really cool bonus trophy, which was a chromed Hurst 13-inch curved shifter handle with a chromed Hurst T-grip on top of it throwing back to the look, the feel, the equipment that racers used during that very first NHRA Pro Stock event at Pomona in 1970. If you walk down the staging lanes, you were going to see T-handles and her shifter handles coming through the floors of every car, including the ones driven by Ronnie Sox and Grumpy Jenkins and Dino Don Nicholson, and the list goes legitimately on and on. And for Erica, this was a dominating performance Um she out-qualified Greg Anderson by multiple spots. She qualified on the pole, and then she goes out there and just and takes care of business. So um, it was it was a race that lived up to the billing. I, I believe, and we'll probably be, hopefully be saying this multiple times this year, that there are going to be some events that will be in that instant classic category. And I really do feel that the 2022 Lucas Oil Winter Nationals falls into that category for the drama we had, for the excitement we had, for the performance we had. And most importantly, for the fact that it did live up to the buildup. We have spent months, and I mean months, talking about every angle of this possible race to come off and how it was going to go and who was going to do what. And I left there on Sunday afternoon to go get dinner with the rest of our NHRA and Fox crew, thinking to myself, this thing over-delivered. Somehow, someway, I didn't even see it being this good, and it was. And we get to do it all again this coming weekend at the NHRA Arizona Nationals at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park. Now, the driver in Top Fuel who is coming into Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park with the proverbial target on his back, but certainly with the proverbial wind at his back as well, is Justin Ashley. And we welcome Justin Ashley as our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. How you feeling, man, and how you doing out there in Arizona? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you definitely earned your spot this week, man. That was... um. That was like drag racing like a, as a condition of war out there in Pomona, dude. That was hardcore. Yeah, we knew kind of going into this year it was going to be a fight, right, each and every race, just to be able to qualify or qualify in the top half of the field, let alone go rounds and win races. And 
from the minute we unloaded that car out of the trailer, it was like a bracket car going up and down the racetrack. And Mike Green and Tommy DeLago, they did an awesome job. And, you know, it's funny when you look at that car and you watch the way it went down the racetrack, the way it carried the front end, the way it arched the chassis like that. Uh, it was just like a uh, almost a storybook weekend and something really cool for the fans to see. Yeah, well, I was gonna I was gonna add that you not only won with impressive performance, but there was a stylistic element to that thing too. That I mean, we talked about it all weekend long because it was so fun to watch. But yeah, I mean, when that car, it, it was the only car on the property that was doing it successfully, which was to just carry the front end at least a hundred feet every run, and then and then set the thing down and just haul. So you know, in terms of in terms of how you approached the first race of the season, obviously you guys had a good test, but it's one thing to kind of understand what may be lurking in front of you in terms of competition, but then when it actually shows up you got to deliver and you did so i want to talk about that the uh, kind of mental readiness you had for pomona yeah i mean you always have to be mentally ready but we all know that this is the top the toughest top fuel field that's going to be out there in a long time so i think obviously we know that but the best way to stay mentally prepared is to not even focus on that to be focused on ourselves because none of that matters unless we're the best version of ourselves that we can be so from the minute we unloaded the car in phoenix test we knew that we had to take advantage of every opportunity we had to go down the racetrack. And we approached it that way again in Pomona, whether it was qualifying, whether it was eliminations, we approached it the same way. We said, you know what? It doesn't matter who's in the other lane. We have to run as fast as we think that we can run. And wherever the results end up, they end up. But it's up to us to put our best foot forward no matter what. And let me tell you something. This Phillips Connect Toyota Top Field Dragster was just hauling the mail all weekend long and it was just a ton of fun to drive well and it's a great story too obviously phillips connect a new a new name uh to the world of top field drag racing jim epler the great funny car racer is involved with the company but um what an experience for them i mean uh you know for them to have their kind of debut appearance be on the side of this car that wins uh a race that was just breathtaking is uh is pretty much storybook it really is storybook i mean the nhra winter nationals are one of those special events that you always want to win and then you add in the fact that we have a new sponsor there in Phillips Connect. The fact that we won and probably set the record for the biggest winner circle picture in NHRA history. <laughs> the 30th anniversary of when Jim Epler himself won the NHRA Nationals. I mean, all this combined just made it such a special weekend. It was really a storybook ending, and it's something that's incredible. It's something that you really draw up and dream about. But to actually live it that way, uh, you know, was just absolutely amazing. I mean, the car went down the track every single time. We had a lot of success on the track, but we also had a lot of success off the racetrack, too, uh, with Phillips Connect, with Auto Shark, with Kata, with Vita C-Shot, just using that Lucas Oil hospitality area to make it as advantageous as possible for business deals to get done and for people to talk and offer opportunity to generate business. So really, all in all, just such a successful weekend, a fun weekend, and that's the way you kick off a season right there. Oh, for sure, for sure. And it was one of the things that we obviously didn't, play up very much in the show wasn't worth bringing up again but i'm gonna do it right now uh how much did you in the back of your mind as a racer as a competitor as a as an athlete as just somebody who wants to succeed how much did you want to just kind of finally slay the beast in pomona so we never have to talk about the 2020 (laughs) race again it has to be in there somewhere it has to be in there somewhere it is look i can sit here and pretend like it's not in there right but you and i both know deep down it's in there now i always race with a chip on my shoulder period but this time not thinking about it, it's history, but nonetheless, yes, it's there. It's in the back of my mind. I wanted to go there and conquer the racetrack. It wasn't something that I was scared to go back to. It was the opposite. It was somewhere I wanted to go back to just so I could put this 
officially yeah. in the past. And hopefully we did that this past weekend. Um, you know, I got a lot of questions about it this weekend, throughout the weekend, and rightfully so. But hopefully now, it's you know, we, we think about Pomona, right? We think about winning Pomona. So uh, hopefully it's over, like you said, and, and we can move past it and just uh, focus on only good things moving forward. Yeah, that's fact. And and that's kind of that leads me into the next topic, which is obviously we get to go back to back to start the season to go right into Phoenix, which I think is is really good for us. You know, typically over the course of time, we run Pomona, then we typically have a week off, then it's a couple weeks off for Gainesville. I really do like this back to back. I think it's a good momentum builder for the series. Obviously, for a guy like you that had that uh, performance you did, you want to get back on the racetrack as well. As we go through the season, though, we, we run into stretches, whether it's the Western Swing or even midsummer, where we're going to be having, you know, several kind of back to back to back races. Having to compete at the level that you do, now knowing the level you have to compete at to win in top fuel, what is the mental let's call it um, fatigue. When does that begin to set in for you as, as part of the season? Yeah, I think that's something that you got to be ready for and something you got to train for. I mean, you know, like you said, you have these consecutive races back to back to back early on in the season. And then also there's stretches during the season where you feel it. And normally during a season, you do feel it. You feel that wear and tear physically and mentally as the races go on, because you're so emotionally invested in what happens. But this season in particular has such a special element to it because, like we said, that field is so tough and there's no room to let up. You always have to bring your A game. So I think from a competitor standpoint, from a mindset standpoint, you just have to break it down and compartmentalize. You have to take one race at a time because if you don't do that, you're going to find yourself getting into trouble. This isn't going to be a sprint. It's going to be a marathon. It's going to be a trip just to make the countdown. It's not going to be easy to put yourself in championship contention, but that's exactly where we expect to be. It's exactly where we want to be. And in order to do that, we have to take it one race at a time. So Pomona was an excellent, excellent race for us. We're spending the week enjoying it, thinking about it, relishing in the moment. But once we get to Phoenix, that's over. We have to focus just on Phoenix, not about Gainesville, not about Vegas, not about you, not about Pomona. It's all about Phoenix doing the very best we can at that particular race. Yeah, and and that is, I think, the, the approach that, a lot of people, I think, talk about having, and obviously you're executing on that approach. And I think what's so, what's going to be so interesting over the course of this season is not necessarily going to be the blips that we see in performance, which we always do. There are people that can put together a solid race here or there, um, but it is going to be that overriding consistency. And you know, if you had to pin a number on it, uh, where would you say? And I know I'm not asking you where you feel like you're going to land, but as an average over the course of this season in top fuel, where do you think you'll need to land to be, I want to say even top five in reaction time? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's crazy how these cars, right? The nitro cars are supposed to be so unpredictable that their elapsed times and their speeds aren't supposed to be this close. Right. So reaction times aren't supposed to be this important, but here we are and they are that much more important because the field is that close and race are separated on the starting line. So, I mean, just to be in, let's say the top five, I mean, you know, you're going to have to be probably in, the, I'm thinking maybe the mid-50s. Yeah, I is agree. what I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking 55 is probably the number that comes to mind. Just to be able to compete, it's like, you know, obviously you can have an off reaction time here or there, but you really got to be on your A game almost every time. It's just so important. We obviously know how important the tune-up is, but you add that other driver element to it, and it's really exciting exciting for the drivers because it brings out the best in each other i think you're starting to see everyone's game rise because it has to in order to compete um so you know i'm thinking probably just to be in the conversation 
you're certainly probably going to have to be in the mid fifties, you know, come season end. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are people that there are people and you're one of them that thrive on that type of a thing. I think that, that, that literally, uh, the challenge of doing this beyond all else is what kind of motivates you ahead and, and you're able to be better because of it. And that's not, that's not the way everybody works. And to me, we're going to start to see that kind of diverge over the course of a season. We're going to start to see the people that nest that, almost enjoy the stress and pressure of this as opposed to those that kind of get torn up by it. And and that is in the long run, I think going to be the separator between, between being a championship caliber car this year and just being somewhere in the top 10. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's, what's going to separate the elite from the people who are great and the people who are good. Uh, you know, you look at the roster top to bottom and it just takes time. It takes experience being in those pressure situations to know how to respond, to know how to react and, Every day, every race, every run, I'm still learning how to act in those situations, how to respond when certain things happen in the car. And that learning is never going to stop. And I think that that's an important element to this whole deal. And you'll see, you know, at the level that we're at right now, where these cars are separated by such little margins that it's the little things that are going to separate the ones who are competing for a championship and the ones who are just going some rounds every other race. So it's about consistency. It's about going out there and performing on a consistent basis. It's great that we won Pomona, but that's done with. We have to go out there and do what champions do now, and that's perform at a high level every race. You know, I had a question in my own mind that uh, I've been meaning to ask you, especially after last weekend, which is perspective-wise in the race car, when we see that thing arched up in the center as much as it is going down, how much does your line of sight change? Because you're obviously kind of behind that arch, but it still has to change your line of sight going down the racetrack, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, it changes your line of sight quite a bit. It's like the first time it happens, you sit back and you're like, whoa, something feels a little funny here. <laughs> like, what is happening right now? And then it slowly starts to settle down and hit the racetrack. And then after a while, like anything else, uh, you know, you start to get used to it. I think the first time it went up in the air and I and I looked over to my left and I saw all the Phillips Connect people and gave them a wave. And then it settled back down. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, over time, you know, you get used to it. It's really cool. I mean, I love it. Listen, it's all about the performance of the car. And Mike Green and Tommy DeLago have done an absolutely A-plus, outstanding job, uh, you know, so far this season, just like they always do. And to be able to add that nice little element for the fans, I think it's a fun touch. And from a driver's perspective, I mean, yeah, your your, your visibility may change a little. But just like anything else, you get used yeah. to it and, uh, you know, you move on from there. That makes total sense. It didn't take you long to find Antron Brown in eliminations. What's that? Say that one more time. It didn't take you long to find Antron Brown in eliminations. Can you believe that? It's like we raced there. We we raced there at the finals in the first round, and we said to each other, "You know what? Fine, no problem. Let's just make it a little later next time." Apparently, we weren't specific <laughs> enough because we come back to the Winter Nationals the next year, and it's in the second round. It didn't take long. It's right. You know, it's funny. Saturday night, you're looking at the ladder. You're thinking about, all right, we just got to get past first round. But you can't help but notice that if we do, and if Antron does, and nothing's a gimme, but look who we're going to be racing. We're going to be racing each other. And you don't want to do that that early in the season, that early on race day. But at the same time, it is nice that one of us was going to be going on to the semifinals. Fortunately uh, for us, it was you know our team this time. But there's been plenty of times where he's got us. It's been the other oh, way sure. around, so. Happy to be able to collect that win. Uh, you know, Antron is just a, uh, you know, I don't even have to tell you. He's just an amazing, amazing guy, amazing teammate. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about the fact that you become like the first Toyota Gezu racing winner, like in North America. That's kind of a neat little footnote to have in your resume. Isn't that crazy? And you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. The first drag race for Toyota Gazoo North America, uh, and I came out the winner. I think that's something special. That's something that I can always say and hang my head down. You know, I got out of the car. I'm thinking, I'm so grateful. I'm thanking all these people. I have Toyota. I have Chip Lofton invited C Shot. I have everybody from Phillips Connect, Lucas Oil, Kato, Order Shocker. You go down the list, and then I realize, you know what? Toyota Gazoo North America, this is the first. NHRA drag race they're involved with. So to be able to come out the winner, I mean, that is just uh, something special. It's something that I'll always remember, and I was happy to be able to do that for Team Toyota. I've only been with Team Toyota for a short period of time, but when they say it's a family, they mean it because it's only been a few weeks, but I already feel like family, and I appreciate everything that they've done for us. And obviously, in your day-to-day as a driver, it doesn't affect things much or even uh, maybe even at all in terms of what your routine and stuff is. But in terms of the information sharing and gathering, um, is that a process that, you know, Mike and Tommy are still working out, like how they get it? Or is this kind of a thing where Toyota gathers the information and just kind of distributes distributes it and, and crew chiefs do what they may? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how it's gone so far. I mean, Antron was the one who actually put this relationship together. And when he did... You know, you can see it immediately really beginning in Phoenix. Uh, you know, you had all the people from Toyota come over and, you know, bring over the information, bring over the data for Mike Green to study. And I'm going to be honest with you, they brought it over. I had no idea what I was looking at. Way <laughs> over my head. So way over my head. I said, all right, Mike, this looks like really important information. You and Tommy look at it. You dissect it and do what you want with it. Yeah. I'm going to go outside and mix the fuel. So, uh <laughs> Yeah, they, they've been bringing it over to us, uh, which has been obviously a, a huge, huge help. The more information, oh, yeah. uh, the more data, the better. So it's a big help to have all that from Toyota. And last question before I let you go. When do you think, how far into this season do you think we're going to see – I don't want to say the class mature, but let's 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 use that term because there are still teams, specifically one based up in Michigan with Alan Johnson as the crew chief. Um, I, I would say I would go so far as to say Antron's team has a couple more races as they're working on a brand new clutch program for them. When do you think we're going to see everybody's best foot forward? Do you think it's Gainesville? Do you think it's Vegas? Just when do you think we're going to see everybody at uh, fighting strength, if you will? So I think each team is probably a little different. Um, but I would say that generally when you look at the season, it's funny when you look at it from a performance perspective and when you look at it from a business perspective, I feel like it generally takes till Gainesville. Yeah. Ramona and Phoenix are the start of the season, but really in Gainesville is where you really start getting things underway. So I think by then you'll see it. I mean, you know, you mentioned that team in Michigan, let's face it, Alan Johnson and Coletta Motorsports, that team is going to be no joke. Oh yeah. They are going to be extraordinarily tough and they already are with guys like Doug and Sean behind the wheel. You have Antron Brown, who, talk about a champion. That dude's a serious champion. He can win each and every race. So it's not going to take long. You have the entire field. I mean, come on. Steve Torrance, a four-time champ, right? You can oh, go it's on ridiculous. And on, up and down yeah. the list. We ran a, it is you know, ridiculous. we ran a graphic. We ran a graphic on the show. It's like, is this the deepest top fuel field ever? And it was, it was like the Old Testament. It was so long because there's so many people that are racing that have done whether it's the multiple race wins, the championships, the top ten finishes. I mean, basically everybody in the nation that has a top fuel car is good at drag racing somehow. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's true. And, and I know the graphic you're talking about. When you look at it, it is just. It's out of this world and it's unreal. And you're going to see drivers and teams step up to the occasion because they have to. 
if they want to try and win races. And I think it's great for the fans. And the part that people don't realize is what about the teams that we consider part-time cars, right? right? You want to consider Doug Foley a part-time car with Aaron Brooks tuning him? They can go out and run low 370s, I'm sure, at any time now you're going to see it. So there are cars out there that are considered part-time cars. Crystal Baldwin, Buddy Hall now, who's got Tim Wilkerson helping him out. I mean, those guys can come in and win races. So just top to bottom, it's going to be an amazing, amazing year for Top Fuel. Well, Justin Ashley, thanks for getting our amazing year kicked off in Pomona. It was a great performance for you, for Mike Green, Tommy DeLago, the entire Phillips Connect uh, team. So congratulations, and I will see you in just a handful of days in the desert. Sounds great. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate the time. Awesome for Justin to break down his win out there in Pomona and certainly give us his outlook for the rest of the season, which promises to be a barn burner if one race is any indication. A guy who made a comeback in Pomona and will be out for all of the pro stock races in 2022 is Bo Butner, a champion just a few years back. Bo stepped away from the world of full-time pro stock drag racing. He's back in now, and we have him on the NHRA Insider. Bo, how you doing, man? Doing good, buddy. Then this is my third official uh, start so yeah i think this is gonna be yeah third time's a charm this is it you and brett Favre, right <laughs> yeah that's it yeah, yeah. so we have a verdict out on brady we don't know yeah man and and so you you know you have a brand new car we talked about this a few weeks ago but uh this is a car that's that's really doesn't have that many laps on it you tested it and i know you ran it pretty good at testing but at the same time you're still uh, still kind of getting the getting the thing sorted out yeah we uh of course it's a new car blues i call it but uh I don't know that you're aware, but round one, I uh, did my burnout and I backed up and the brakes went to the floor. Oh, no so way. Telling my crew chief, Tim Freeman, hey, but I don't know what type I have. I don't know if I have brakes. I said, I'm going to stage it. <clears throat> well, then it pumped up to about 200 PSI, which that's about where we stage. I'm like, you know what? I said, I got on radio, so I'm going to go ahead and make this hit. You know, <laughs> for long, so long, we have plenty of shut down area. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then uh, wow. come to find out uh, as I staged, one of the front brake pads fell out. Oh, so, no way. Yeah, I guess the pin or something in the caliper or something came out. But just new car stuff. The car is awesome. We love it. And, uh, can't, I mean, I told them yesterday, yesterday was the first day in over a week, or about a week, that I haven't been in the car. So, kind of getting withdrawals, but... Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, we'll get that withdrawal thing fixed up in the next couple of days when we get down to uh, get down to Phoenix. I mean, obviously the thing qualified well. Uh, you seem comfortable in it, and so first round you had Matt Hartford, and and you know you kind of jumped right into the deep end of the pool because Hartford is uh, is no no easy shakes. He's a good lever, and that car uh, that car when it's right is fast, and you uh, you handed it to him in the first round. Yeah, we uh, we were, uh, were were called up on stage to be the marquee deal, and Matt and I've known each other for a while. It's funny, Joe, Joe Costello was like, hey, what's it going to take What's it gonna take to win this round? I said, I need to be 30 on the tree. And I, and I was 37, I think. But I think Matt missed it. But Matt was uh, probably fighting some gremlins as well. No matter how prepared you feel like you are for race one, you're not. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we, we've all learned something. And it, it won't be such a 700s or 400s, whatever, whatever limit was. That won't happen. You know, I want to. I want to deviate a little bit here and talk about Johnson's Horsepower Garage a little bit because it's one of the neatest. You have one of the neatest sponsors, not only in drag racing but in motorsports. You're sponsored by a guy who is literally obsessed with cars, and this is something I want to talk about because it's highly, it's very unique. Sure, I. Uh, he's actually still here with us. He and his wife Nikki, uh, they were nice enough to fly us over here on the. They have a, a beautiful plane, and they flew us over here. We left Monday morning from Chino, and then uh, they're, I think we're actually staying right across from the track at, at the casino. Oh, that's perfect. And, uh, 
I, uh, actually, I'm looking out my window right now. I can see the racetrack, and it's raining. So it's <laughs> here. But, you know, with, uh, he, he's a car nut. Uh, I'm, you don't know why I'm a car nut. Uh, Lynn loves cars. His wife loves cars. He's a per- it's a perfect matchup for all four of us. But this guy is over the top. I mean, he uh, buys everything that we can only dream of. Or I can only dream of buying or even sitting in, you know. But uh, it's it's really really funny that just it's daily to him, and he's he's really knowledgeable about the exotic stuff. Uh, definitely Mopar stuff. He's all about that. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't ask for a better better sponsor and. <clears throat> And a better group, the whole group of GHG that work with him are amazing. Uh, I cannot wait to get and showcase some or showcase some of the stuff at Bristol. We're going to do an open house the week before, and uh, he's going to invite everybody. So it's, it's going to be something just worth seeing that people should probably get an airline ticket and fly to see because you can't see this group of cars anywhere in the country that I know of. No, it's incredible. You've uh, you've kind of you've hinted to, to me a little bit about what's kind of in the vault, so to speak. And uh, anybody who likes hot rods, muscle cars, you have any appreciation for automobiles, uh, you're definitely going to want to be a part of this open house. I'm excited to come down and see it when we get down there for Bristol as well, just because I know how excited you get over the stuff. And if you're getting this pumped up about it, I know it's just over the top. Well, Brian, let me tell you what's scary about it. There's there's quite a few weeks, if not months, between now and Bristol, and there's no telling what you will add to it. <laughs> That's what's cool. So, you know, we, we're going to roll into Phoenix here this weekend, and, and it's a racetrack that a lot of the other pro stock tar, cars tested at. You guys tested up in Bakersfield, which obviously went well. I mean, all the elite cars really kind of came out of the gate swinging. So, right. I'm not going to say you're at a disadvantage because there's a lot of data out there, but but does that give anybody else a little bit of a leg up having made a lot of runs on this racetrack just a couple of weeks ago? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure. If, if, my, if I guessed right, Greg Anderson probably made the most. Yeah. Because he's an animal and he'll make, he'll make eight a day where a lot of teams make four. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that's the, the advantage because, of course, any tray preps or preps track different than yeah. probably anywhere we can test on. Now, I know the field cars were there with him, and they were probably – probably towards them I would get to assume but uh, I think uh, I th- definitely the more runs you get where you're racing is an advantage it's like having a home track so but I think we have a lot more to show we're actually putting a whole complete brand new engine in my car trying to hold a lot of new stuff uh, so I'm looking forward to, to letting the clutch out and just doing my job if I can stay in that 20 range I think we have a good shot to win a lot of rounds during your uh, during your hiatus from Pro Stock, you guys, you and Randy Lynn went out bracket racing everywhere. I was out there at the fling. I called the race where you won the you won the big uh, the big throwdown on Saturday out there that that particular year a couple seasons ago. Um, what is the what is the difference if there is a difference on a on a bracket racing race day and a Pro Stock race day? Because one of the things I think is interesting is. At an event like the Fling, you're making a lot of runs, right? You're making a lot of runs, and you're it's almost like a round robin to a degree yes. versus on a pro stock race day, it's be ready for first round. We'll see in a couple hours. Be ready for second round. I mean, that, that's got to be a big big swing to kind of adjust to. Yeah, it's uh, – well, well, one thing you have over in a bracket race and you don't have here is a buyback round. Yeah. So it's a little less pressure <laughs> in round one. Round one in pro stock, you have all the pressure. Not only do you want to turn the wind light on, you would probably like to have playing choice for round two. So, that's a little bit different mentality, but as pressure goes, no, because I was running, uh, I think it was 10 or 11 rounds at the fling, and that was uh, to, to win a lot more money than what, what you could actually win on a Sunday. Yeah. So, and that, that, but just the same deal. Randy and I love both types of racing. Uh, don't get me wrong, she would love to have her Firebird out here, which we're shooting for Gainesville. Just, 
getting parts for everything. Everybody knows how it is. We're yeah. getting with her motors fresh and, and uh, can't, can't wait to get her back out. But I don't know. We're 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 knocking on the door, and some uh, some people might think we're crazy, but I'm trying to get her tested on uh, getting a pro stock license. And who, who knows? You might see her maybe at the end of the year in a pro stock car. That would be epic, and I'm sure that's something that she would love as well. I mean, she's had so much success in Stock Eliminator, and she said really anything she's been in, she's been good. So that would be a uh, that'd be neat. And and for those of you that don't know uh, Randy Lynn, her personality would be awesome in the pro stock category. Yeah, and and she and she is the type that uh, if I take her testing and she's not comfortable, she will get out on the starting line and say, "Nope, I'm out." Instead of instead of just maybe trying to push through it just to be a pro stock racer. That's, uh, she's a little different when it comes to that, and uh, she doesn't like stuff that are that's violent. And I, I don't know if she saw any of my in-car stuff, but I had a couple <laughs> of violent runs last last weekend. But no, all that stuff's good. Uh, we're with a different team that's meshing well. Uh, it's just it's just a great opportunity for everyone. Thank thanks so much to Johnson's Horsepower Garage. Like I say, it, it is the absolute perfect sponsor. Who who would not love to be around a car guy and and be around the cars he loves? So. Uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to the rest of the season and probably years on years on. It's great, and I think as a fan and as our fans watch the shows and come out to the races, we, we're looking at a pro stock category that is as healthy, maybe healthier than it's been in a very long time. I mean, the last couple of years have been great, but we all know several years ago it was looking pretty thin out there. Now, you know, we got 20 cars at Pomona. We got 20 cars coming to Phoenix where there are already 21 cars entered for Gainesville, and was part of that one of the reasons you wanted to come back? I mean, it, did it make it more appealing that hey, this is a this is a healthy, vibrant class? Yes, that that, and we do have a love for NHRA. Period. Sure. Starting in the sportsman ranks, uh, and then and it, and it feeds its way up to the pro ranks. But also, like you said, you know, I started in fifteen, pretty much full time, uh, and and you could show up and qualify. You know what I mean? And you could show up, maybe squeeze around it too. Now. You're not guaranteed to even qualify when you show up with that many cars, and that many cars are this close. So, yeah, uh, Eric did a great job. She won this past weekend, but you're not going to be able to pick a winner for Phoenix because there's at least 12 to 14 cars that are capable in my eyes. Yeah, and I mean, we look at we look at in the in the past if somebody say heard an engine at some point in testing and had to go to a backup engine at one point, this that was like that was it. The guy the guy or girl was just up the creek. But the way that Elite builds engines, the way that some of the premier engine builders out there manufacture these things now, even the backup engines are within, if not better, they're within a couple of horsepower. So it, it to me that also adds an element where you know back in the day any sort of any sort of issue would kind of put somebody out of contention. Whereas today these engines are as good coming in as they are going out well yeah and, and, and i mean just being on the elite side now i know they have i think richard did 10 complete engines for the four cars that are that are their week in week out and they are all identical which is rare and uh, like you said i think they all made within three or four horsepower so it doesn't really matter who gets what <clears throat> you get to put that element out of your head uh but uh the, the team works are good for they won't want the cars to win doesn't have to be there. Doesn't have to be mine or, or, or TJ's. But uh, it's it's a great great team atmosphere. But dude, Richard stepped out there and spent some money and, and bought some nice stuff, and it's just gonna show. 
I got one last question for you. I'd asked this to, to Justin Ashley, who's the first guest on the show today, and I want to ask you the same thing. You know, when we were talking about, you say Top Fuel, because obviously that's a class he runs, but we were kind of talking about how really by Gainesville, you get a sense of who's got their act together and, and kind of who's going to be able to, to be competitive at that highest level. Does the same hold true for Pro Stock? I mean, does it is it a kind of a maturing a maturing process for any team over these first couple of races before you're truly kind of locked in? I, I believe so, and I believe, uh, I don't know, I, I, I know this and saw a lot. Uh, you had a couple of newcomers that are going to get better, of course. But, I mean, 12 to 14 cars, in my eyes, can win a championship. I mean, yeah, race one's over, but there's 17 more. <laughs> so, yeah, it, this is the toughest, closest racing I've been involved in in pro stock. So, and it's just race one. So, but we kind of knew it was coming. We hear everybody's test numbers. But, uh, yeah, again, uh, Brian, you might know something I don't know, but you're not going to take a winner for Phoenix. No, that's, that's a fact, and that's that's really what makes this uh, this whole season shaping up to be so exciting is that level of parity, kind of the unpredictability, and the fact that, um, like you said, it, it requires a, almost a superhuman effort to win one of these things on a good day or on a, on a normal year. I think in this year, it's it's everybody's having to step up and find you know literally another gear on Sunday. So, Bo, it's always great to catch up with you. Certainly going to be excited to watch you this weekend, and uh, it's cool to know that uh, you have hooked up with the ultimate car dude and that ultimate car dude is more than happy to uh, learn the ropes of pro stock it's great it's it's fun and anybody wants to stop by and meet jason talk to him and he loves showing showing his cars he's not a real big guy of showing off you know what i mean but he loves to talk about cars and uh it's, it's just a great great guy great family and uh, i can't wait to everybody get to meet him we'll see you in the desert Bo. thank you very much thanks brian see ya And that takes us to the close of another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Thanks, as always, to tuning in and listening. It is going to be a spectacular weekend in Phoenix, Arizona. If you've not gotten your tickets, please go to NHRA.com and get them. And I can tell you that we are a few weeks away from the Gator Nationals, but the way that that thing's shaping up, I would be looking at my tickets for that one as well. As always, it is a it is a great pleasure to talk about the sport of drag racing, especially now that we are back into it. You can tune in this weekend. Go to NHRA.com for our broadcast schedule for television. I can tell you for a fact on Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1 will be the final elimination show. There will be qualifying shows throughout the weekend as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. I'm Brian Loans, and this is another episode of The Insider Wrapped Up and Done.